Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and thank you for joining us at Faith and Family. And today we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to talk about Jesus cleansing the temple and his warnings about fruitless believers. And one of the things we're going to try to do is not only look at these scriptures in the historical context about 2,000 years ago, we want to try to see how these could apply to our lives and family life today. We're starting in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 12. What has happened so far in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus has the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is the Messiah, his formal entrance, coming to Jerusalem. And what does he find? Is a big mess, a big mess in the temple area, and he cleanses the temple. Now, to get the picture of what was going on, there was a special courtyard called the Court of the Gentiles in the temple area, and Gentiles were not allowed to get into the formal temple area, as well as certain people who were lame or might have had any type of disease or something like that. So they would have to kind of stay on the periphery of the temple area. So for the whole world, remember, God called the Jews, not just for the Jews, he called the Jews to be a witness to the whole world. And so if anybody would come who's a non-Jew and want to get close to the God of Israel, the closest they could get would be the court of the Gentiles. And what was going on? They were buying and selling sheep and other animals for sacrifice uh, in order to give an offering at the temple. You had to convert your Roman currency into a special currency. So there's money changers going on. And Jesus, when he cleanses the temple, he says in the Gospel of Mark, he goes, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, not just the Jews. And it was kind of like they were really blurring the image of God to those who were on the periphery of coming to know him. So again, one of the things I'm going to try to do with you today is not only just look at this, oh, that was really bad back then. I'm so glad Jesus cleansed the temple back then. We don't have any problems like that now, do we? Well, let's ask the question, and, and you, you could fill in the blanks. I'm just going to make a couple of suggestions, but how does the temple need cleaning cleansing today. In other words, how do we as Christians blur the image of our faith for those who are kind of on the outside but being attracted? Do we provide a winsome witness or do we drive people away by some things we're doing? And one of the things that was going on was that instead of worshiping God, it was a big money deal buying and selling animals and trading currencies. Um, here's one example. There was a German Catholic bishop, they called him the Bishop of Bling, and he had a $42 million renovation to his private residence, 42 million. Fortunately, the Vatican kind of gave him some type of discipline, I'm not sure what, 
But, you know, when Pope Francis came on the scene, he, he urged that uh, priests and bishops and cardinals, you know, live a simple life. And after he did that, CNN put out a special piece where 10 of the United States' top Catholic bishops were living in residence worth more than a million dollars. And they're saying, what, what the disparity here? And really, those looking on from the outside, uh, a bishop or a cardinal living like a uh, Roman king or priest or something like that, uh, would turn people away. And it's not just Catholics, uh, Protestants. There is a Protestant telev- televangelist named Jesse Duplantis, and he asked his followers to help him buy, get this, a $54 million private jet. And his reasons, he said, quote, God wouldn't be riding a donkey. And it's very interesting to me, in Matthew 21, where he cleanses the temple of those offending, those you know interested in coming close to God, that's Matthew 21 we're talking about. Well, in the triumphal entry, what did Jesus ride? It wasn't a $54 million jet, it was a donkey. So um, we need to be careful about what we project to those on the outside. Now, I'm gonna just share something, and I'm probably gonna offend a lot of people in their parishes, but I'm just gonna give you an honest assessment of an evangelical who got interested in the Catholic Church and thought a lot about the Catholic Church after reading the early church fathers. But I have to tell you, when I went by a Catholic Church And the only um, sign, so to speak, for those on the outside were these huge uh, banners for bingo. Now, I don't have anything against bingo, but to me, I thought, wow, that's kind of a rather low level of spirituality. And again, this would be like I was on the court of the Gentiles. I was an outsider, but interested in what was going on on the inside and what the invitation seemed to be was bingo. Now, instead of that, if you look right after Jesus cleansed the temple, in this court of the Gentiles where all this buying and selling and trading and money-making was going on, it says, and the blind and the lame came to him and he healed them. And the scribes saw what was going on, they became indignant, But see, these were people limited to the court of the Gentiles. So um, rather than the money grabbing or, and again, I'm not against bingo, but the big bingo banners and this and that, let me tell you what a wonderful Byzantine Catholic Church does here in Greenville. On Wednesday nights, they have a healing liturgy. You see, the people who were on the outside and part of the people who were outside, not just the Gentiles, but those who were lame, those who were blind, it said Jesus healed. What a wonderful thing to do at that kind of meeting place. And, you know, what about just a healing service or prayers for healing? Um, There was a church here in Greenville, a Protestant church that did it. And I personally sought out a Catholic church to do it. And this little Byzantine Catholic church here in Greenville has this wonderful Wednesday night 
healing. And this is exactly what Jesus did. I'm just suggesting for those on the outside, um, this is maybe a rarely kind and prophetic thing to do. Now, in chapter 21 of Matthew, as well as chapter 22, there's a lot of related items. In other words, here he comes in and cleanses the temple. So something obviously wasn't working right with the, particularly the leadership of the Jewish people at this time. And then you just turn the page, still in Matthew 21, and Jesus curses the fig tree. There is a fig tree. He came to the fig tree to try to seek fruit on it. There was no fruit, but leaves only. And he cursed the fig tree and it withered up and died rather remarkably. And this was also related to the cleansing of the temple. Why? Both pertain to Israel. Um, They were supposed to be a witness to the nations. They were supposed to be living in such a way as to demonstrate faithfulness to God. And the idea of the fig tree leaves without fruit, leaves only Judaism. So I want to do again what we did with the cleansing of the temple, because you could just say, oh, they were really bad buying and selling back then. But we need to think about how we might be doing something today that might be just as offensive to those who might otherwise be at least interested in the Christian faith. And specifically, how would I would call leaves-only Christianity offend people today or look-alike Christianity? Why? Well, it would fail to produce the righteous living. And God wanted that not only for the people themselves, but as a witness to the outsiders. And the whole purpose wasn't to be self-serving, but to be a witness to others. Now, um, how would leaves-only Christianity work to today? Um, I'll pick on Protestants first, but I'll be fair. I'll pick on Catholics in just a second. But some Protestants, not all, but some Protestants today think They'll make a one-time confession of sin and faith in Jesus, and they're good to go for all eternity. That's it. And no matter what, uh, long as it looks good, you know, you make that profession, you uh, make a declaration of faith, that's a perfect leaves-only Christianity, but without the fruit of the actual godly living that should come from a result of that, you're in big trouble. Now, are Protestants alone on this? I don't think so. Some Catholics, just like some Protestants, have a false assurance thinking you just do this or that or say this or that, that's it for all eternity. And with Jesus coming up to this fig tree looking for fruit, God is looking for fruit in your life and in my life. And if it's not there, we are missing the whole point of it big time. So how would Catholics miss, in other words, have leaves-only type of faith? Well, okay, you go to classes, uh, you join the church rolls, and you attend Mass. Now, you attend Mass, you don't have to sing, you don't have to really pray, you don't have to really listen. You Just as long as you sit there, 
uh, weekly. You're on a church roll and you went to the classes. You're good to go for all eternity. No, you're in the same position as the Protestant who thinks they just confess their sins once, um, have an act of faith once, and they're good for all future. No, that's just the external appearances, the leaves only. The fruitless Christianity is not, not, not Christianity. One of the strongest and repeated admonitions in this gospel, Gospel of Matthew, relates to the necessity of producing fruit. And if you think what we just read about cursing the fig tree because it didn't provide fruit and the fig tree standing for ancient Israel, you think that's just ancient history, you have missed how to read the Bible because you always want to apply it to your life. Listen what John the Baptist says in Matthew 3. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism. Now, these were the religious leaders. He said to them, you brood of vipers. They wore fancy clothes, had fancy positions, uh, studied theology and everything else. But John the Baptist called them a brood of vipers. Why? Because he said to them, bear fruit that befits repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, or we have Catholic parents and grandparents. No, you provide the fruit that befits repentance. And then he goes on. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. In other words, this, you're in precarious situation without the fruits of repentance. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. His winnowing fork is in his hand. In other words, he's going to separate the good from the bad, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his granary. In other words, he will separate the true fruit-bearing Christians from the leaves-only Christians. So the wheat goes to heaven, but the chaff, the fruitless Christians, he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's an eternity in hell. And I realize a lot of people don't talk about hell today, or if they do, it won't be eternal, or if they do, there won't be any consequences like unquenchable fire. But I just quoted to you John the Baptist of what happens to leaves-only fruitless believers. They'll be burned with unquenchable fire for all eternity. And, and this is just part of the gospel that sometimes we don't like to hear too much today. Well, you say, well, that was John the Baptist, and he was kind of hardcore. And it's true, he was hardcore. God in his mercy sends John to shake us up a little bit to get ready to meet Jesus. So we meet Jesus, and what does he say in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7? It's almost ditto what the message of John declared. This is Jesus. Every sound tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears evil fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Protestant or Catholic, 
Not any, everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Woo, that's hard stuff. But that's from the lips of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He goes on in Matthew chapter 12. Just in case you missed John the Baptist, just in case you missed the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew 12, either make the tree good and its fruit good. You're getting this? We're talking a lot about bearing fruit. Or make the tree bad, but the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the good man out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I'll tell you on the day of judgment, men will render account for every careless word they utter. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And strikes me as odd, very odd, that Christians somehow think as long as you're outside of a church building, you can have a foul mouth. And here Jesus is saying, no, the tree better be good and better be fruit. Well, what's a sign of good fruit? Namely, what comes out of your mouth? Oh, God doesn't mind a little cussing or even occasionally taking his name in vain. Really? Jesus said, I tell you on the day of judgment, men will render account for every, every careless word they utter. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Now, uh, that's why we have confession as Catholics, but it's a serious thing. And I mentioned one of my first men's conferences. I think I shook people up. I said, it takes one time to use God's name in vain for you to end up in hell for all eternity unless you go to confession. This is serious stuff. And we tend to think, well, it doesn't matter, but it does matter. And you know, it's very interesting one of the ways you judge a person uh, is by what comes out of their mouth. And even unbelievers, and again, we're talking about those coming into the court of the Gentiles. They can't get all the way in and may, maybe have an interest in Christianity, or maybe you were offended by some priest or pastor in the past and whatever else, and now are kind of seeking to come back. But are Christians genuine Christians by that? I mean, they bear fruit versus the leaves only type of Christian. And one of the ways they tell the difference is by what comes out of our mouth. So it's very critical that we ask God to take over our hearts because that's where Jesus says these words come from. And if bad stuff comes out of our mouth, we need a heart cleansing deep within. This is big stuff. So again, this is fruit bearing. Now, Jesus, we're going to turn the page, and there's a parable of a wedding banquet. Now, 
there's a common theme running through all these passages and parables. What happens in this parable is very interesting. Um, the king wanted to have a wedding banquet and said to his servants, go out and invite those who are called to this wedding banquet. And remember, we're talking here very much the conditions of the Jews versus the Gentiles and the initial call from the Messiah, as well as St. Paul when he's on his missionary journeys, were to the Jewish people. But then Jesus, this is a parable, says, oh, I'm kind of busy. I got to go about my business on my farm or other business, or I have other obligations. And, you know, it's not really high on my priority list right now. And they just made light of the invitation and went off. And of course, um, they said they also seized his servants giving an invitation. That would be like the prophets and the apostles and killed them and said, what did the king do? Well, he got angry and burned their city, which is precisely what happened to Jerusalem 40 years after Jesus spoke these words. In 70 AD, the Romans came in and burned their city. Now, he says, go out. Go out to the highways and the byways. Get the Gentiles. And Gentiles were basically regarded as sinners. But even the bad sinners, you know, the, the tax collectors and the harlots, invite them to the wedding feast. And there isn't anything, anything that you can do that will keep you from being invited in. God will forgive, and his wedding feast is the second coming when we're joined to him for all eternity, and we can reject coming to the wedding feast, and that's on us for all eternity, or we can accept it. And so the, the response when the Jewish people in general, not everyone in the first century, but in general, rejected the invitation. Their city was burned. And then the faith, the Jewish faith, the Messiah's faith, which has we call Christianity, but it's a continuation of what was going on in the Old Testament, is now spread to the Gentiles. And so the wedding feast is going on, and then something happens. It says, when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. Now, this is something that we got to get into our noggins, okay? We saw in the first half of this parable a split, okay? The invitation to come and join a covenant union, a believing union with God. And that invitation by the first group of people was rejected. Then the second group, the Gentile sinners, were all invited in, and they can be forgiven. So that's the second group. And that would be the church today. But within that group, there was a division again, in that he saw a man without a wedding garment. And again, this is a parable. It's symbolizing something. And the master said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. In other words, there's no excuse. 
Then the king said to his attendants, this is the guy that came in to the believing community. Bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness, and their men will weep and gnash their teeth. That's a description also of hell, of one who was in the believing community, but he had no wedding garment. So what's the wedding garment? I mean, where do I buy that? <laughs> you know. Well, Re- Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and 8 says, let us rejoice and exalt for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. This is the wedding garment for the linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Now we come in to the wedding banquet not because of what we've done or what we haven't done. Basically, he's inviting Gentile sinners. He's inviting tax collectors. He's inviting prostitutes. They are forgiven. But a lot of people, and again, Protestant and Catholic, I've been both, think that, you know, you get in and it's kind of like your ticket. You don't have to respond in love to the love that's been shown to you. And the fruits of righteous, the righteous deeds of the saints is the wedding garment. And then after Jesus says, bind him hand and foot and cast him to the outer darkness, there men will weep and gnash their teeth. Again, this is those from the inside, those who are lookalike Christians, those who are fruitless Christians who aren't Christians. To be a fruitless Christian is not to be a Christian. And then Jesus says, for many are called, but few are chosen. Now, theologians could write quite a number of books on this little verse, verse 14 of chapter 22 of Matthew. Many are called. Many are called. Some don't even come in. They're what we would call those outside the church. But those called come in, even with that group, there's so many who want to live their life as if nothing happened. The love of God never reached their hearts. They're just looking for kind of a eternal life insurance policy and check that box and go about their life as though nothing happened. That's not Christianity. Christianity is having the fruit that God will certainly look for when he comes to have us join him for all eternity. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 460 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to learn more about Catholic family life.